Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another episode of Hemp Aware Radio. Tyler Hemp here, your hemptrepreneurial host, here to hemp power and hemp educate your hemposphere because it's important, as you all know, for food, shelter, clothing, energy, medicine, and so much more. On uh, today's hemp educational show, we're going to be discussing hemp economics, hemp farming, hemp building and some other really cool hemp topics that you won't want to miss. And to accompany me on uh, today's discussion, I have amazing hemptrepreneur, hemptational uh, guest, Chris Sullivan. He's the quality control plant technician at Lazarus Naturals, which is one of the leading brands in CBD and cannabinoid uh, retail market. They've got some amazing uh, fully integrated uh, processes, uh, doing extraction and, and some really cool products that we'll talk about. Um, so naturally, we'll go into the CBD industry today, but I'm also excited to dive into some other topics. Like I said, hemp economics, and we're going to get into um, hemp building, like hemp homes, uh, and what it takes to do, uh, succeed in the hemp industry, as well as um, who are some of the leaders and, and where are they at with hemp farming, hemp processing, uh, but before I bring Chris on to start today's hemp episode, I just want to uh, let you know that at Hempware Radio, we believe investing in your education and investing in hemp are two crucial things that you can do for yourself, for the economy, and the planet that will ultimately make a, a positive generational impact. And that's why this show is so important for us to produce for you so that you can feel confident in your hemp business and help create a paradigm shift on this planet in how we live our lives and how we operate our companies uh, so that we can all experience the health and the wealth and the hempiness that we deserve. And um, one other quick thing that I wanted to let you guys know about, uh, Hempware Radio was selected as one of the top 10 industrial hemp podcasts on the web. And so uh, to discover some other really great uh, hemp podcasts and continue your hemp education, um, when you have a moment, check out blog ta- uh, blog.feedspot.com and just do a quick search for hemp podcasts. You'll see the industrial hemp top 10 podcasts come up and uh, you can continue your hemp education. But uh, I'm so excited to, to bring on Chris. So without further ado, welcome to the show today, Chris. How are you doing in the PNW? And for those who don't know, that's the Pacific Northwest. Right on, Tyler. Thanks for having me. Uh, doing pretty well here this Saturday morning. Uh, kind of a hazy day out there with some of that smoke in the air, but we still have plenty of sun shining through and plants are growing, doing their thing. Right on. Yeah, man. This is the time of year for the blossoms to come out and those uh, terpenes to be forming. So. Um, I'm excited to, to introduce our guests to you if they don't already know Lazarus Naturals and what you're doing with the company and outside of the company when it comes to hemp. But before we get into that, would you be uh, willing to share a little bit about your background leading up to the hemp industry, how you got involved, and then maybe go into a little bit about your specific expertise and, and passions and goals when it comes to hemp? Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Uh, I probably most started getting involved uh, with the cannabis plant. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to say 2001 uh, because I, I can remember that year as the year that I actually wrote my first uh, like term paper for college for sociology and medicine. And uh, I wrote about, uh, you know, the benefits and uses of cannabis uh, and industrial hemp in the past historically. 
and uh, that was my senior year in college, so kind of dating myself there. But, um, you know, ever since then, I would say I've had a pretty keen interest because I did a fair amount of research on it. And at that point, I was like, what are we doing as a country by outlawing this plant? You know, I, I'm certainly a fan of its, uh, you know, psychoactive counterpart in, in the THC of cannabis. And I would say that's kind of where I came from in learning how to grow that this plant. Um you know, doing kind of the backyard, indoor type grow type mm-hmm. stuff uh, throughout the years. And then in 2016, when we finally made it illegal, or excuse me, legal, we legalized the hemp plant. Uh, and I, I then decided I need to make a career shift out of the bicycle industry uh, and, and turn full tilt towards uh, the hemp industry and see what I can do. So uh, mm-hmm. I took to a one acre plot, cultivated it by hand. Um, it was a bunch of sagebrush and junipers on a friend's farm where he was growing cannabis already, uh, medical cannabis. And, uh, yeah, did an acre. Uh, I didn't make any money whatsoever. I, I worked really hard on it. Uh, and that's kind of the plight of all hemp farmers. At one point, you're going to kind of realize yeah. what your efforts are worth or what they're not worth and uh, who's, who's making it that value. Um, and so at that point, again, the economics of this industry were were showing right in my face, and I needed to figure out, okay, what do I need to do to stay uh, on this career path, promote this plant, and um, where can I go with it? And uh, by chance, Lazarus Naturals uh, out of Seattle um, was opening up a farm in Powell Butte, Oregon, and this was in March of 2018, and. Uh, I applied off a Craigslist ad, and hmm. uh, I got the job as a plant technician for them. I put the very first seeds in the ground uh, and, uh, you know, planted, uh, I believe we did 72 acres that year, and uh, I've been with the company ever since. I'm actually the longest standing employee at the farm, and um, I wear a, a number of hats, um, but this summer I'm probably cut back the most on my hours. Um, and I've spent most of my time doing like field surveys, um, quality control on the transplants, on uh, assessing plant health uh, in the field, um, identifying issues, uh, pathogens that we may find and come across. Um, this year we're farming 260 acres almost. Uh, so that's a lot of plants. Uh, we have densities in our fields of uh, about 1,600 plants per acre, all the way up to 6,900 plants per acre, uh, roughly. And so there's that, that's a lot of plants that we have out there in the fields and a lot yeah. to monitor. Um, and in that, we have uh, uh, eight different CBD producing cultivars um, in those 260 acres. And so um, this year I, I basically just do all the data collection, monitoring, testing, uh, and, and other quality control aspects. So, yeah. How cool. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. So with, you have an obvious extensive background in understanding the, the botany, understanding the, the biology of the plant and what it needs to, to succeed or to, to thrive. So they're uh, definitely blessed to have you on the team. You guys are making some really great progress and I've only seen great quality products come from the company. So you guys are doing a great job. And um, I've noticed in our discussions over the years, cause we've, we've um, I've been, you know, working with Lazarus and you guys for a couple of years now. And you, um, 
are shifting gears. It seems like kind of seeing that CBD cannabinoids definitely have their place and you guys have positioned yourself in the market very well, but it's um, kind of shifting gears, looking into the future and um, seeing some new opportunities in the fiber side of things and, and the seed side of things. Um, but before we go into that topic, I, I'm curious, w- would you agree that CBD and, and cannabinoids are what kind of popularized industrial hemp recently? And if so, do you think it's, it's getting better or worse for industrial hemp as far as its reputation and what CBD has done for industrial hemp? Yeah, that's a lot in that question for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think about that a lot as well. When I first started uh, uh, growing hemp uh, outdoors, um, my my true interest has always been the industrial uses, industrial applications, taking everyday products that we're using right now, um, and instead of using the products that have a, a petroleum-based, you know, component to it, uh, we would be using a plant-based component. And that that's always been my key um, that I've been interested in. Um, it, it, I, I don't see why we are relying on all these fossil fuels and um, these limited resources when we can actually grow so many of the resources that we can integrate into our everyday products. So for me, that's what I was, I saw that, that, you know, glimmer of hope that we're eventually should be able to get there. Um, the thing that what uh, thing that we needed in this industry though, was something that would be a, you know, unfortunately I'm just going to say a fast money maker and a very available, um, you know, uh, we'll say like a product directory because we had all the different cannabinoid products that we could then make from tinctures um, to capsules and different edibles and um, you can do different extracts and start working with the different cannabinoid compounds um, uh, for medical uses. Uh, so that it made sense that we went to cannabinoid farming first rather than uh, fiber or grain farming. Um, I think with the cannabinoids, the craft growers, which came from the medical side of things, the medical cannabis side of things, I think those craft growers were able to transition into the industrial hemp um, cannabinoid market and the the farming styles. You know, we kind of adapted. And and those first couple of years were kind of funny because you'd see, you know, I'm going to kind of generalize and stereotype some folks. You'd, You'd see the Northern California, you know, uh, mountain farmer or someone who's just out in the, you know, the sticks growing their medical crop or their, you know, THC crop. Uh, and they would kind of blend in with the good old boy farmers of, say, Central Oregon. And so you have this uh, meshing of different farming styles, um, you know, one from craft cannabis and one from large-scale farming. And we saw this meshing happen, and I was right in the middle of it. I kind of came from both sides of it and saw both sides of it and it was really fun and exciting and through these years uh, and meshing these different styles uh, I think the farming techniques have gotten better. Um, we've reined in on cannabinoid production pretty well and gotten pretty efficient at it. Um, the downside is you know we saw a major boom bust with all the farmers you know you had a bunch of small time farmers trying to compete against the bigger farmers um, and we saw prices drop out for flour and biomass. Uh, and so a lot of people that saw kind of the writing on the walls and maybe money in the sky, they, they thought they were going to uh, reach for all this and, and attain it. Um, it kind of it kind of dropped out underneath uh, everybody's feet. 
And so we, you know, over this last year, we've tried to recoup uh, the farmers that have survived, you know, had to re readjust and we had to figure out, okay, if we're really only getting $1.80 per pound for this biomass, um, you know, how much sense does this make for us to farm this way with all our other inputs that we were using to, to farm this crop? So I think mm -hmm. what we're starting to see now is we need to, to add some extra value to each individual plant. And of course, the way you do that is um, by using the whole plant. And so mm -hmm. for cannabinoid farming, we're largely just using the flower biomass, but we have all this thick in stock, which for the most part was kind of deemed as field waste. And it's, it's not field waste unless you treat it like field waste. And so mm -hmm. you have to then take care of it in the way that you want to use it uh, in the downstream application. Um, and so that's what Lazarus Naturals is doing. That's kind of what my pet project over the last couple of years, um, working with some of these up-and-coming processing uh, manufacturers uh, to work with our CBD waste, stock waste, and and start producing hemp herd and uh, strand toe fiber, bast fiber uh, that can be then integrated into other products such as hemp crete, hemp building materials of sorts, insulation you know, the other thousand plus uses of, of uh, hemp. So um, I For think sure. we're, yeah, we're, we're bolstering the cannabinoid industry by adding value to the remainder of the crop. Very well said. And I totally agree. It, it's definitely sh shown a lot of light on the topic of industrial hemp. Like you said, getting, getting a moneymaker, which turns heads. Um, yeah. Hemp has been, a thing for thousands of years and in the last 80, 80 years since it's been demonized and, and criminalized we've uh, pushed it under the rug and pushed it over to other countries and which is why countries like China and Ukraine and uh, Romania and, and these other countries uh, Canada have, have kind of took the lead when it comes to grain and fiber or, or grain for Canada fiber for the um, China and all that. So um, obviously, U.S. is the leader, especially the PNW and Northern California as, as being the, the lead cannabis producers in the world, some of the highest quality, most variety. Um, so it's awesome that you got to be right in the middle of that sort of artisan boutique farmers and then this big business uh, sea of green just planting massive acreage, which is um, a totally different approach. I mean, if, if you're growing an acre of plants where there's, you know, 1600 plants, it, it's way more manageable than if you're growing, um, you know, several, several hundred acres, uh, super densely planted and all different varieties. Um, there's, there's so many different techniques like you're saying. So I, I agree that, that having the, the cannabis farmers coming from uh, that industry sort of speed Heading the the industrial hemp cannabinoid side of things so that they can bring over their expertise, um, but there's there's still a, a major learning curve for a lot of the farmers in the U.S. when it comes to grain and fiber production, but also like you said, you know, being able to take the whole plant, pull the flowers off of it, and then use the rest of the plant for other added value. So it's it's exciting to know that that's in our future. It's it's um, been a long time in coming. Um, and you kind of already went into some of the challenges that you've experienced, but what would you say are some of the other things that you guys have 
dealt with over the last, you know, since 2018 when, when industrial hemp you know, farm bill passed, you guys got 72 acres in, in the field that first year. What, what other things have you witnessed other than massive price drops? That's definitely a challenge, but was there other hurdles or things that you guys had to overcome? And, and if so, what, how were you guys able to overcome some of those challenges as a hemp company? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, the way you farm for cannabinoids or the way at least we are farming for cannabinoids, we have a lot of inputs um, to make the, the crop happen. So we're planting uh, transplants uh, into the field. So that means we're growing all of our plants from seed and seedling trays and then having to transport them out to field and then run them behind a transplant uh, tractor with a crew of people that puts them by hand into the ground. Um, and, and they go into the ground in these raised plastic covered mulch beds. Um, and so there's a lot of, there's a lot of conflict in that in, in preparing those fields and making a nice bed for these transplants. And, um, honestly, one of my biggest, uh, challenges that I have as, you know, a, a guy farming and a guy who's trying to improve our farming practices and create more sustainability within our industry is we need to, start to reduce some of this plastic use um, because, you know, the plastic mulch beds are, are literally miles of, of single-use plastic and then our trays for transplants, they, they require a lot of plastics that are not necessarily uh, reusable time after time. Um, and so we know, again, that there are ways to, to become more efficient and less reliant on uh, the type of farming that we're doing. I kind of re- relate this more to like strawberry farming, um, you know, going into these plastic beds or like, you know, I think they, they farm lettuce a lot of times like this in these plastic mulch beds. And so um, I, I know that with hemp uh, and even for cannabinoids, we can go without any plastic mulch beds. We can kind of work down our, our tillage in the field so we're not disrupting our, our soil as an organism. Uh, as much, and we can maybe use uh, cover crops that have been, um, you know, crimped down uh, to suppress weeds, uh, to retain moisture, all the things that we're using the plastics for, uh, we can do uh, with more of like a no-till paradigm or a farming model, Um, you know, and and that is something that we're looking at, and we're doing different trials with uh, where working with some of our extracted spent hemp as a mulch cover as well. Uh, That's one thing that we did this year is instead of plastic beds, we just took bare beds that were kind of raised and mounted um, plant beds, and we just uh, covered it with our extracted spent hemp uh, to retain moisture, suppress weeds. Um, Because, you know, as as a hemp farmer will tell you, um, for sure in Central Oregon, and I'm pretty sure this is uh, across the country, all the hemp farmers are finding that weeds in your fields uh, are, are a terrible thing and they're really difficult to combat, especially if you've gone season after season, um, you know, tilling the fields and allowing the seed bank of invasive weeds, you know, your non-target species to come up and proliferate uh, amongst the rest of your uh, hemp field. Um, and so I think there's a lot to be said for cover cropping uh, with a beneficial cover crop uh, to um, a diversified planting strategy um, to go with your hemp plants and, uh, again, just trying to reduce our plastic use. Uh, so that's, that's kind of what we are dealing with at the, 
the head of things is just let's, let's mm-hmm. get more efficient, let's use less plastics, and uh, let's still have a, a healthy crop as a result. So, yeah. That sounds great. You know, I, yeah, I appreciate that because the less plastic we can be using, the better. And obviously, with the onslaught of, of hemp plastics, I'm sure we're going to be seeing some revolutionary products in that area soon, too. Um, but what would you say are some of the distinctions or differences between like different nutrients or have you guys been able to see significant output difference in different farming practices or techniques? And if so, what would you say have been some of the biggest um, kind of breakthroughs when it comes to yields or, or, you know, quality of plant production? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Right off the bat, I would say we're, we're testing the limits of uh, hemp as far as its robustness and uh, early planty hardiness. Um, you know, a lot of times in Central Oregon, we are reluctant to put our transplants in the ground uh, before June 1st. Um, everyone's kind of worried about a hard frost. You know, even June 15th, we could easily have a, a night where it dips below 32 degrees. Um, so a lot of farmers are reluctant to put transplants into the ground because they're, they're pretty sensitive uh, to temperature fluctuations. And in Central Oregon, we'll get temperature swings uh, from a daytime high to a nighttime low of over 40 degrees, um, which can be kind of shocking for some of these transplants. Um, and what we've done with our, our different field trials is, you know, putting put seed in the ground very early, as early as April. Um, and allow them to go through a cold dormancy period in the soil, uh, go through several hard freezes because obviously we're still going to have freezing temperatures at night in April. Um, And what we found is that the the seed will remain intact and be fine throughout these hard freezes and and throughout this cold cold dormancy period in early spring. Uh, And, you know, all of nature is connected to nature, and I truly believe that the seeds will know when they need to emerge uh, for mm-hmm. uh, at the appropriate time. And so what we've seen is stuff that's planted in April will start to emerge uh, maybe in early May, uh, usually after a few good days of a rainstorm or something like that, or if we're applying water yeah. in the field through irrigation. Uh, but those plants are so much more robust than any transplant you can put in the field. The immediate stock uh, you know, growth that you see in its, its density and its vigor uh, and its overall healthiness um, is just, you know, far and away better than any transplant that we would be able to put into the field. Um, and that's just, I believe, to, due to, like, the natural, you know, planting method um, that, this, that, that the hemp plant wants. You know, it doesn't like to be in a little mm-hmm. plastic container raised on a yeah. bunch of nutrients and granted we use all organic nutrients we you know brew compost seeds do all the good stuff but you're still you know restricting the root growth restri- restricting the root access to more soil uh, more oxygen more nutrients by having them in these planting trays for a month and so really I mm-hmm. think what we're going to see is uh, transitioning more to direct seed approach uh, which again complements um, dual purpose uh, planting yeah um, truly intentionally growing for cannabinoids and or also for fiber and for um, it, it's, a, it's what we're finding is that the culture cultivar differences um, what they will yield um, can definitely play a major hand into your 
test for farming. And, you know, we're starting to mm-hmm. see that in Montana um, and, uh, you know, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, all those guys are really trying to push the envelope with, with um, better farming practices. And I'd like to say that Lazarus is with those folks as well out here in, in Oregon. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which, which uh, brings you kind of to my next question, getting into the, the industry as a whole and, and seeing that there's different leaders as, as hemp farmers, processors uh, of, of both quality, you know, cannabinoid based products, but also grain producers. Um, what would you say are, are some of the leaders right now in the industry that are, uh, you know, succeeding with, with cannabinoid production or even uh, fiber production and, what what have you seen in the industry as far as like wh- where we're at, um, you know, with fiber processing? I mean, obviously CBD, most people are familiar with the different processes of, of farming and, and harvesting and extracting. Those are pretty common knowledge, but I think there's still a lot to learn when it comes to using the cannabinoid-based plants for non-cannabinoid-based uh, applications, but then also specifically growing for fiber or specifically growing for grain. Tell us a little bit about um, what you what you understand of the industry or the state of the industry when it comes to that. Yeah, you know, it's, it's this is a very collaborative effort uh, on behalf of uh, anybody who's either farming, making uh, tools and equipment, uh, and making the end-use products. Uh, it really is a collaboration, and, and it's probably the reason why we've seen you know, we're on year four, coming into year five here soon of the industry uh, budding back to life and um, you know not any company can be an island we all have to be connected we all have to be supportive uh, of, of what we're each other's doing so that comes to you know New Holland uh, out in Pennsylvania making some some newfangled um, you know hemp tractors and or you know, I should say implements for tractors hemp farming and uh, really working with the farmers out there to see what their needs are uh, in the fields. Um, it comes down to the, the processors, the decorticator makers, the um, ag processing solution companies that are working with farmers to create value-added products from their field waste. Um, and, and it takes a lot of really creative people on the product-making side um, that want to make, you know, some uh, hemp-based lip balm, or they want to make some, you know, CBD products, or they want to make uh, some bedding that's uh, made from textiles. Um And so it's really a collaboration and, and an extensive communication network of who's doing what and where, where can we uh, bridge these connections so we can continue making new products, continue expanding our fields uh, for production of raw materials, um, and who do we call for the best uh, processing and manufacturing equipment? Um, and so, you know, I guess uh, just to point out a company that I see that's kind of doing that in a pretty good stage is like Global Hemp Group. They're kind of under the radar. They're out in Colorado um, and also like out in New Brunswick um, in Canada. And, um, you know, they're, they're kind of doing this. They're, they're creating this whole... Uh, hemp agricultural industrial zone, um, you know, where they're, they're going for all the cannabinoids, they're going for fiber, they're going for grain, they're trying to feed people with this material, um, and they're trying to hit every nail on the head um, 
for the potential uses of this plant. And and I think we'll start more of the the companies that are still out there, still relevant, uh, looking for that, or they're going to bridge stronger partnerships with the folks that they've started to make contacts with, uh, and and kind of strength any other uh, products that they can provide. Um, so I, I think that's what we'll see is just a better synergy between the farm producers, um, the processors, and the availability for smaller. Uh, regional processing uh, setups, uh, and then those will be available for the uh, more localized um, end product users. So kind of smaller networks, um, I think, will be emerging as well. Yeah, more cooperative approach like they do in Europe where mm-hmm. a whole uh, yeah. county of farmers might all pitch in together to get one particular variety of seeds so that they know, all right, we're all going to grow for long fiber this year, and Maybe they even pitch in to get all the equipment together and they put it in one location. I think that's been the biggest holdup with the progress of the hemp fiber industry is that locality, you know, is is such a big key getting processing regions or or facilities set up in different uh, states, essentially, or even counties within different states. Obviously, California is a huge state, um, Texas and um, which you, we're going to see more processing centers uh, than the smaller states, but I, I, I totally agree. I, I think the more we can come together as a hemp community, as hemp farmers and processors and share information to, to progress this, I think we're all going to win much more in the end. And um, I totally agree. Glo- Global Hemp Group is doing some really good things, and there are some other groups that are still kind of under the radar. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say with within the next six months, we're going to see a lot more availability of, of the different options of hemp fiber. I know with, with our company, it's, it's um, slow and coming, but definitely in the background, things are happening. So it's, it's an exciting topic. Um, and there are so many topics when it comes to hemp. And, and uh, as, as a hemp entrepreneur yourself, and being exposed to cannabis and hemp for all these years. I'm curious, what would you say are, are some of your favorite benefits, or if, if you were to choose one category of hemp, whether it was seed, fiber, or flower products, what are some of the, the benefits that you enjoy most like on a daily basis when, when it comes to the hemp plant or cannabis in general? Yeah. Um, you know, I can't ever deny the, the benefits of the uh, – the whole hemp seeds, you know, uh, that it's such a nutrient rich um, seed and it, you know, I think I find it delicious, but it also can be added to so many different products uh, to create nutritional density in these products. Um, so, you know, I see that, you know, famine and, and hunger is a major issue throughout the, the world. Um, and honestly, for grain, that's probably one of the biggest, best things that we could do. This, this can feed anything from, you know, humans to animals. Um, so utilizing it as a, as a food consumable uh, seems like probably the, the best thing we could do for, you know, humanity. And then follow that up with the remainder of the stock and using it for uh, shelter. So for different building materials. Um, and uh, that's, that's probably what has me the most excited. Obviously, we're not seeing the most uh, production of that stuff, but I know that's not very far down the road. Um, I know a lot of different farms really are eyeing in on the grain production and the fiber production, and, and I think it's just a few more years before we really see 
uh, an explosion of growth and acceptance in the, in the different categories, whether it's you know the food industry or the uh, building industry, that we just see more and more uh, applications using uh, a hemp product in there. Um, and that, that has me super excited. Uh, the building materials, um, I, I feel like every single day I'm scanning on the internet and I find something new uh, dealing with uh, home or commercial construction that, that can incorporate uh, a hemp uh, derived material in there. So that's, that's really For exciting sure. to me. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I, I would say that uh, from my research and, and the numbers that I've seen, the building industry would, I would say, is, is the biggest moneymaker. I would say that's going to get into the trillions of dollars of value when it comes to hemp wood, uh, hempcrete, hemp plastics, all these uh, different hemp building applications. It's, it's, we're uh, seeing massive increase in lumber prices and building materials. So there's, there's not only a need financially to find a better solution, but economically, ecologically, it, it's just uh, such a game changer. And, and there are great groups out there like the U.S. Hemp Building Association, ushba.org, that are making some great strides when it comes to regulations, coding, and, and certifications of hemp as a building material. So I totally agree to have our homes built with hemp would be a revolutionary change in how we live our lives and, and the state of our health as, as a human race. We're, uh, so many people are dealing with toxic building syndrome, with mold and mildew and, and asbestos and VOCs and all these you know, toxic compounds being used. It's a, it's a no-brainer for us to switch over to this. So it's, it's, it's going to hempen, as we say. Um, <laughs> but yeah, hold hemp seeds are definitely, I would say, like top of my list, especially when it comes to hemp foods. Because like you said, you can put it in smoothies and dressings and dips and pâtés and parfaits and desserts. And it's uh, such a versatile seed. And, and, and what a, a symbol of abundance because um, from one seed comes trillions and trillions of more seeds. If you put that seed in the ground, you know how to use nature to nurture it. It'll grow into another plant that'll just keep uh, keep producing. So those are those are great points, and I appreciate that. Um, I'm just curious, being a, a hemp entrepreneur, and most of our listeners either have a hemp company or are wanting to get into the hemp industry. What would you say is is the most fulfilling thing about working with hemp and and being in the hemp industry or building a career as a hemp entrepreneur? Huh. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. And, you know, sometimes find myself uh, out in the field scanning all the, the plants and the acreage and thinking about that type of thing, about how great it is. Uh, you know, let's just first say it's not without it, it uh, you know, burdens and such. Uh, but, boy, it, it is fun to know that, um you know, we're, we're part of the solution, I think, um, you know, all in all, we're really trying to do this for the benefit of uh, humans, uh, hopefully in the end, the benefit of uh, the planet. Uh, we'll see an uptick in uh, carbon reductions once we really start seeing, uh, you know, seas of green out there, uh, sequestering and eating up all that carbon in the atmosphere, uh, storing it into the uh, cellulose materials, um, you know, the cellulose walls of, of the plant and we home structures. Um, so just knowing that, you know, I found that niche in life that uh, has uh, become an improvement uh, for all uh, rather than just a moneymaker. Um, 
as I mentioned, I kind of came from the bicycle industry. I had over over 20 years in the bicycle industry doing all types of things, including component design. And uh, year after year, I was constantly making new products that were largely just disposable, and they're largely just there to facilitate our need for you know fast and shiny things, which was cool, and I liked it. It was fun to make that kind of stuff. It was very wasteful, and you know it's it's there for the sheer fleeting enjoyment of of us, um, but at the cost of you know all these limited resources, at the cost of um, you know pollutants in the in the ecosystem. And, you know, now that I've kind of shifted into the hemp industry and really we're seeing it, it blossom and uh, kind of rounding itself out and, again, uh, becoming a little bit more sustainable, a bit more efficient in the farming practices, um, I, again, feel just really blessed that I can be a part of the solution um, with this industry and this career path. Um, so I feel, sure. I feel lucky for that, yeah. Indeed. Well, very well said. So what the topic of today was hemp economics and you know I I I love this idea of transforming our our hemp our economy as a whole the the word economy is uh the, the root word eco comes from the word home and I always look at it as you know our our home is not only the house that we live in the four walls and the roof but our home is our physical body that we inhabit. Our soul kind of inhabits this home. And this planet is our home. If we look at our ecology, our ecosystem, it's all our home. And so we're sharing resources and adding value, uh, being of service to each other, utilizing this plant. Um, but where would you say that the biggest opportunities are as far as financial investment in hemp, but also, in terms of the health of our planet, what would you say is the most important things for us to focus on when it comes to hemp as far as preserving this earth and, and, and you know, keeping it whole and healthy? Yeah, well, you know, it's never too early to start supporting and, and uh, calling out for the, the materials and the products that can be made from hemp. Um, you know, this year is a pretty scary year uh, with the fires going on, with the, you know, rainstorms, the droughts red tide coming in um we're clearly in a in a climate catastrophe and we're at the very beginning of a, a tumultuous and chaotic um you know weather pattern and, and climate cycle mm -hmm. um and so by supporting like the u.s hemp builders association by supporting companies that are uh coming to market with uh, you know hemp building materials um, right now, they're going to be a little bit more expensive. We're still relying heavily on an imported uh, raw supply chain. Um, and I think, you know, as the domestic supply chains kind of ramp up and, again, more fields are being grown, the prices of these products are going to go down, um, which will be more accessible for a greater building population um, and a better customer base. So, um supporting them early on, you know, and making the calls out there that, hey, you know, I want to I want to put a, a tiny house in the back for my new office that's going to be, you know, uh, a more efficient uh, little space for me to, to use, or I'm going to use um, hemp insulation for this new house that I'm building um, because, you know, I want to support the hemp farmers that are growing it, and I want to support the people that are manufacturing it, and I want to pay. Um, so really, you know, we saw this with the CBD market. It, it took a little bit of, of a kickstart, a little bit of uh, 
education and information to become available. I had to take a little bit of, well, we still don't have really doctor's recommendations too much or, or ones that can really be, you know, um, relied upon heavily. There are some doctors out there who will, you know, swear by, by cannabinoids and their uses, but um, really we just need the, the contractors, we need the, the building industry to step forward and say, we want to see more hemp products um, on the job site. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of going through these steps right now myself uh, for this hemp house that, that I'm actually building uh, just south of Bend, Oregon. And, you know, working with the county officials, also working with U.S. Hemp Builders Association, and also working with Perennial Building, who is the general contractor that is going to be building this hemp house uh, from the material from our fields this year. Um, we have approached the county officials, and they are, are you know, nothing but all smiles uh, when they mm-hmm. are finding out that we can use hemp insulation, uh, hempcrete, um, hemp wood flooring, uh, and, and they're all about it. They just need to go through the formalities and permitting yeah. uh, and making sure it is, uh, you know, a good, viable, competitive product uh, mm-hmm. when we're going head-to-head with conventional building products. Um, yeah. And really, that's, that's not that difficult um, as far as performance. Um Basics like we're we're seeing that it is very performance competitive uh, with anything mm-hmm. that is conventional, um, and certainly way more non-toxic and way more renewable. Oh, yeah. And uh, let's not forget the carbon sequestering factor of yeah. throwing it in the field in a regional space mm-hmm. where we're not trucking it for thousands of miles um, and, and yep. burning up that petroleum. So yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, I said I agree. It's it's <clears throat> if there was kind of what I mentioned before, I, I really believe that the construction industry is going to be the biggest part of the, the hemp industry moving forward. Um, <clears throat> of course, fashion is super huge, clothing, fabric stuff, but there's still some major progress that we need to have when it comes to hemp long fiber processing <clears throat> as far as the whole infrastructure there. So um, thank you so much for your time. I, I'd love to go over there. We just have a couple minutes left. Um, and other conversations into the future, but you've been super insightful and helpful. Um, <clears throat> as a parting question, what would you say um, are some of the, the main goals for Lazarus Naturals? How can people learn about you guys or get involved with the company? And where do you uh, see your guys uh, see yourselves going into the future? Oh boy! Well, I'm going to surprise you a little bit and say it's not necessarily all in hemp. Um, so mm-hmm. certainly folks can find out what Lazarus Naturals is up to at LazarusNaturals.com. Um, we've got, uh, a very, uh, you know, devoted blog, uh, site that, that kind of tells you what the happenings are in the field and in the lab, um, and what new products are out there. And, um, one thing that we've been doing at the farm over the last year is kind of, uh, starting to do some mushroom cultivation. Uh, so we're working with uh, shiitake, oyster mushrooms. We did a little lion's mane mushrooms. So this is mostly just, mostly just for our, our local and regional production. And we're you know bringing them out to uh, grocers and farm stands um, and selling them out there. And that's that's actually been pretty explosive in its growth, as mushrooms will be. Um, so we've been diving into that and also into uh, green production. Uh, so we're doing baby greens and microgreens salad greens, 
um, and, and sharing some greenhouse space with our hemp plants uh, for our, our greens production. Um, so that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and what else do we have going on? That's that's kind of about it for now. Um, like I said, yeah. I think in 2022, you're going to see some of our Lazarus Naturals uh, hemp herd available and mm-hmm. Lazarus Naturals uh, short strands toe fiber available um, mm-hmm. for your needed applications. So, uh, again, just kind of di- diversifying as much as possible. And um, the team at Lazarus is, is a really dedicated crew. And enough good things about um you know how the company has has evolved and developed and as i say you've you've known them for years and uh it's a lot of hard work it's a lot of you know shuffling the feet and and being nimble um yeah oh yeah and and i will say one last thing i I have uh um the cascade hemp concept home cascade hemp concept home dot org uh is where you'll be able to uh, keep tabs on the hempcrete house that I will be building south of Bend. Uh, the site is not quite live yet, but the, the URL is purchased, and we'll have that live by the fall of this year um, as we're just oh, starting fun. to break ground on it. Yeah, Yeah, I wasn't sure if we were going to go into that topic today. I wasn't sure if you wanted to share it with the world, but we will definitely be covering that into the future, and it's been super exciting. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining the call today and listening in. This is uh, your Hemptrepreneurial host, as always, Tyler Hemp with Chris Sullivan at Lazarus Naturals. You can check him out, LazarusNaturals.com. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thanks again, Chris. Everyone have a blessed day. Thank you. Bye-bye.